final lesson looking at the book of Revelation. And we're looking at what I've entitled the last words, uh, really the last words of Christ on the earth before he would come again. Uh, we know that as we look throughout the Bible and throughout the New Testament, especially, we find warnings and reminders about the coming of Christ. And we find in Revelation chapter 22 some things we can learn from Christ's final words. Revelation 22 is another chapter that should leave us encouraged knowing what lies ahead for the Christian. Because as we have seen throughout the book of Revelation, we find one common theme, and that is that the Christian has the victory in this life. That the Christian through Christ will have the victory and have heaven as their home. We find that evil and the devil himself is cast down and defeated, and that the Christian is brought into the heavenly home, receiving the ultimate victory. Tonight I want to begin by looking at Revelation chapter 22, looking at verses 13 and 16, as we look at the deity of Jesus, as we find it in Revelation 22. In Revelation 22 and verse 13, the Bible says, Here Christ speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, literally meaning the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We find that not only here in Revelation, but also in John chapter 1, we find where Christ talks about how in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, referencing Him being in the beginning with God the Creator. We saw this morning also from John chapter 17 how Christ was with God before the world ever was, as he referenced being with God and having his glory with him, just like he did before the world began. And so as we look at Revelation 22 and verse 13, we find the same exact thing, that Christ is the beginning and the end. He is the first and he is the last. We find in verse 16 of the same chapter, Jesus he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He is the central point, as we're going to look at here in a few moments, of the entire Word of God. Some have said, and, and not inaccurate to say so, that Acts chapter 2 is the hub of the Bible. That is, it's the central focus of the Bible. The everything prior to Acts 2 really points forward to Acts chapter 2, and everything afterwards points back to Acts chapter 2. Well, that all hinges around Christ being our cornerstone and being the foundation for the Christian. Jesus is the key person of the Bible. In the Old Testament Scripture, we see that He is the becoming Messiah, as we look at, look at Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, where the Bible says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall, shall, shall arise with healing in His wings. The Son of Righteousness shall arise. Even the Old Testament, and we can go back and look at other Old Testament prophecies that point to the coming of the Messiah. And He is, again, the central point. In the New Testament, He is the Savior who has come and will come again in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 
Christ is <coughs> the central person of the Bible. This bears it out here in Matthew and once again in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And as is pointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Again, it all goes back to Christ. The Christian life, and really in all reality, the life of anyone, revolves around Christ and how they accept Him or how they reject Him. But no matter how they view Him, if, even if they reject Him, the Bible still reveals that Christ is the key person in the Scriptures. Jesus, we see, is not simply a teacher. He's not just a simple teacher or a philosopher or a religious leader. He was Emmanuel, as we saw in Matthew 1, verse 23. He also is the Son of God, as we see in Matthew 16 and verse 16, where, where Peter uh, makes the statement, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we find in John 1, verses 1 and 2, where Christ reminds us that He is deity. He was in the beginning with God. He was part and is still part of the Godhead. Therefore, Christ is not simply a teacher or some quote-unquote good man or righteous man that lived thousands of years ago. He is the Son of God. He is also, as we've seen already, He is the Alpha and the Omega. Everything begins and ends with Christ, as we see in Revelation 22 and verse 13. He was in the beginning, in John 1, verse 3, and He shall be in the end, as we see in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 24, where the Bible tells us, when He delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, when? When Christ returns the second time. Thus, He is there in the beginning, John 1, and He's there in the end as well. By His power... All began and will end as well. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 tells us, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Christ literally is all there is. He is the hinge. He is the pivotal point of the Bible. He is the one whom, which we clearly see, is our example and one whom we are to follow. He is the most important person and the key person throughout all Scripture. Next, we also notice from Revelation the authority of God's Word. It's interesting as you look at Revelation, you'll find various things brought out as the book comes to a close. Not only the deity of Christ, but the authority of God's Word is also mentioned there. In Revelation 22, and looking at verses 18 and 19, <coughs> here the Bible says, for I, will, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if he want to ask of these things, God will add to him the, paid, the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this of this book of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. We find here that God's word is authoritative, meaning we cannot add things to it just so we can do what we want. 
because God's word is the final say. It has the final answer in all that we do and all who we are to be as Christians as well. God's power has produced the revelation of His Word to man. We find this in 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 3. Well, Peter, well, where Peter reminds us, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him, He called us by glory and virtue. The Word of God tells us how we are to live, and we cannot add anything to it. We cannot take anything away from it. And Peter really, he reminds us why, because it gives us all that we need. If we remove anything, we remove a portion of what we need. If we add anything to it, we add something that we do not need. And so therefore, we must remember the warning we find from Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, about adding to and taking away. We are reminded of the importance of following the authority of God's Word, and it is through His Word that men are saved. The Bible tells us that people are saved by God's Word in James chapter 1 and verse 21, where He tells us, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. The Word of God is and always has been what saves the souls of men. The Word reveals the reality of sin and man's need of salvation. The Word reveals the death of Christ, man's Savior. And the Word reveals God's plan of salvation. Thus, the Word of God is able to save our soul. Our next point we want to consider as we look at Revelation 22, we find, <clears throat> we find that, apparently I had all that on there, this we have, we find the second coming of Christ also revealed in Revelation 22. As you look at verse 20, where the Bible tells us, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. We find here a reference to the surety that Christ is coming again. That He is coming to receive, as we know from Paul's letters and as from Christ's words as well, that He is coming to bring the faithful with Him. We find the promise of the Lord concerning this in John 14, verses 1 through 3. He tells us, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You don't prepare a place for people to come if you don't intend to ever come back and bring them to where you are. And so we find there in verse 3, he says, I go prepare a place for you. Why? He says, because I will come again. That why? Why is he going to come again? He says in verse 3, to receive you to myself. Why? That where I am, there you may be also. He wants us with him. We talked about that this morning. And so we find, again, the second coming of Christ is also revealed and, and repeated here in Revelation 22. And we should, that is the Christians, should live in anticipation and in preparation for the second coming of Christ. As we were reminded in Matthew 25, and verse 13, where he tells us, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. It doesn't say we don't know if the Son of Man is coming, we just don't know when the Son of Man is coming. And so we must live a life that is prepared for the second coming of Christ. Also within Revelation 22, not only do we find the deity of Jesus, 
Do we find the authority of God's word? Do we find the second coming of Christ? We also find the imitation of Christ in Revelation 22. The invitation of Christ. Look at Revelation 22 in verse 17. Here the Bible says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires him take the water of life freely. That is an invitation to the follower of Christ to come and to what? To be in heaven with him. He says, let him who thirsts come. You know, if we go back to Matthew chapter 5, where we find uh, the Beatitudes and talk about where we find those who hunger and thirst after righteousness and how they should be filled. We find here the same idea. Let him who thirsts come. You will be filled. You will, you will be rewarded with a, a dwelling place with God and with Christ and all the faithful. God has, has always invited the lost to Him. We go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah 55, looking at verses 1 through 10. Beginning in verse 1, He says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who, have no, who, you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for, for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Here in your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. We find here the idea, come to God. He has all that you need. Don't spend your time and your efforts on those things which do not satisfy. We continue reading there in verse 4. He says, Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely he shall call a nation you do not know, a nation, <clears throat> excuse me, a nation who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We find again a drawing people to God, to leave behind all those things which are not sure, which do not prosper, which do not help, and to come and return to the Lord, as we see in verse 7. Verse 8, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down in the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. What do we find throughout Isaiah 55, 1 through 10, and we can continue reading? We find that God is calling and inviting people to Him. God has always invited people to Him. That is, He's invited them, but those who can come are only those who have obeyed. The last words of Jesus, <clears throat> the last words of Jesus in Revelation 22, are an invitation to be saved, to come to Him, and to have heaven as our home. As you think about Revelation 22, <clears throat> excuse me, we have some lessons in which we can learn from this. Our first one is, is that Christ is the center point of the Bible. He is the center point of the Bible. 
we look throughout Revelation, we find that everything hinges upon Christ, and everything throughout the New Testament hinges upon Christ. Everything in the New Testament, or the Old Testament, rather, points to Christ, the coming Messiah. Even all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, we find the coming of Christ. And we find in the New Testament, Christ has come. And now we find, after He has come, now we find He is coming again. It all hinges around Christ. God leads us, leads us to Christ, and Christ leads us to God. Christ also leads mankind to heaven by obedience. Christ leads mankind to heaven by obedience. No man on earth can do what Christ has done for mankind. We look at, look at Luke 19 and verse 10. We find, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Christ came to the earth. And we go back and we look at Revelation. We find a lot of things which we can learn. But one of the key things we learn is that we must endure hardships as a good soldier of Christ. And if we do so, we will have heaven as our home. We go all the way back to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Be faithful unto death, right? That's what we find throughout the book of Revelation, to endure, to hold on. Don't give in. Don't take the mark of the beast, symbolizing going after idols and false gods. But follow Christ. And if you endure, we find, as we get to the end of Revelation, we find, we find heaven awaits the faithful. And here we have a reminder from Luke chapter 19. The Son of Man, His whole purpose was to seek and to save that which was lost. I want you to notice with me, if you will turn in your Bibles with me, this won't be on the screen, turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation 22. Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation 22, let's just begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read just a few verses. I want to make a comment here. Revelation 22 verse 1 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. A water that is pure as crystal symbolizes that it is free of anything that would pollute it. It was free of anything that, you know, if you're out somewhere in the woods hiking, what do you look for if you're thirsty? You look for a pure, clean water source. Well, here we find in verse 1, this water, this river, of water is a pure river of water. He says it's clear as crystal. This We find throughout Revelation that heaven is pictured as a place that has no impurities. It has nothing that would leave a blemish or a dark spot on it. Or on it. Verse 2 says, In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was a tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I notice verse 3, and this is where I wanted to focus on. And there shall be no more curse. What is that a reference to? It's a curse of sin, isn't it? When Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, it's because they broke the law of God, disobeyed, and a curse was placed upon them. That is, now they have to die a spiritual death unless they obey. And that sentence was passed down to mankind. Not their sin, but the sentence was passed down to mankind. We know, <clears throat> but we notice here, as we talk about heaven, 
and a place we're going to dwell with Christ. Notice here in verse 3, it says, There shall be no more curse, but instead what? But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. The curse of sin is not found in heaven. If the curse of sin is not found in heaven, that means there are no sinners in heaven. That there are no wicked individuals in heaven. Because it's a place of purity. He says there in verse 3, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, verse 4, and His name shall be on their foreheads. You remember earlier in Revelation how those who took the mark of the beast would have the mark on their foreheads or on their hands at times. But here we find the mark of faithfulness is on the foreheads of those who are following Christ. They shall see His face and His name, <clears throat> excuse me, His name shall be on their foreheads. It's interesting that the mark of the beast is just a mark. But for the Christian, it's the name of Christ or the name of God is on their foreheads. It's not just some ransom mark as we would leave it to be here as it's described figuratively. But here with the Christian, it's the name on their foreheads. His name shall be on their foreheads. Verse 5, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. But the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And we continue to read about how the time is near. Do not take away or remove from the book of the prophecy, right? But we focus on verses 1 through 5. We are reminded of what awaits the Christian. And that we are reminded also of what Christ has invited us to. A place with purity, a place where there is no curse of sin, a place where the Christian walks about with the name of Christ on their foreheads. The last words of Christ are, you might say, profound, and they carry quite a bit of power. We find in verse 20, John says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Now some would say, well, coming quickly does not mean he should have been here already. The Bible tells us that God does not use our timetable, does He? Coming quickly does not mean He's coming tomorrow, but it does mean He is coming, and it seems quickly, doesn't it? We think about how fast our lives move along. We know life moves quickly. Christ is coming quickly. The next time the Lord speaks to man, except through His revealed Word, will be the last day. The next time the Lord speaks to man will be on the last day, on the day of judgment. That's why in Revelation 22 I titled it the last words, his last words, because it would be the last words until the day of judgment. We think about <clears throat> Revelation 22 and how we find the deity of Jesus. We find the uh, authority of God's word. We find the second coming of Christ. We find the imitation of Christ. We found all that, and we see all that really still even throughout the book of Revelation. Not just in chapter 22, but throughout the book of Revelation. We go all the way back to Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 2. We find where Christ talks about those who are in white, or those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's an invitation for us also to be washed in the blood of the Lamb so we can be pure in the sight of God. As you think about the lessons we have heard from Revelation. I hope it has been lessons that have been encouraging to you because Revelation is a book that should be encouraging to the Christian 
because it's a book that reminds us that we have the victory. That no matter what comes our way, no matter what hardships may, may befall us, no matter what things come upon us, if we, if we will remain faithful to God, we will have heaven as our home. Christ reminds us that He is coming. He reminds us that about the glory of heaven. You know, we have a glimpse there about you know, the, the water being pure as crystal, the, 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 the river and the tree of life being there in the street and all those types of things. We read about you know, the, the city that's four squared on and on being a description of heaven. But the only reason those are there so that we might have as finite people, that is having limitations mentally, might be able to begin to imagine how great heaven will be. Because how can you really put into words a place where there is no more pain? A place where there is no more sorrow, no more death, no more hardship, no more heat, no more... All the negative aspects of life are gone. And the Bible simply refers to them as the former things have passed away. That's more than reason enough why we should want to be in heaven. Because we want those former things that's referenced there to be former things for us. But you also think about it this way. Those former things are not former things in hell, are they? No, those things are only intensified. The pain of death that never comes, the death that never comes, the hardships, the, the pain, the agony, the Bible refers to it, Christ uses the, the term where the flame is not quenched, the worm dieth not, it means it's agony, that's death, pain that should cause death, but it never comes. That's not a place I want to be, it's not a place you should want to be either. And so we think about Revelation, we find a reminder of to be faithful to Christ, and then we get a glimpse of heaven. We get a glimpse of hell as well, don't we? The bottomless pit, but that's not a reference to hell. He's talking about those who are cast into what? They're cast into a lake of fire and brimstone. That's the reference to hell. Fire and brimstone, a place two things are known for their heat and pain, right? But heaven is referenced as what? A place where none of those things are there. Instead of fire and brimstone, it's you know, a river of water that's clear as crystal. The tree of life is there. God is there. The curse is gone. That's where we want to be. 